All right, this is Dr. Barbosa, Title Health Breast Surgery in three, two. Hi, and welcome back to Title Health on Point. I'm Roger, your host. We are very fortunate to have on the program with us today, Dr. Karen Barbosa of Title Health Breast Surgery. It's Dr. Barbosa's first visit to On Point. Hey, Dr. Barbosa, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. It is great to have you with us, as we do with all of our guests who are first timers here on the program. We ask you to tell our listeners and our viewers a little something about you, where you grew up, where you went to school. Give us the Karen Barbosa story. Oh, wow. That's a story. Um, So (laughs) I'm actually originally from New York City and um, I was a voice major. I sang all city, all state, and I went to the music and art Fiorella LaGuardia School. Um, People might know the movie, depending on your age, Fame, uh, which was based off of my school, and I was going to be a singer. Um, And I got into an accident, and I was not allowed to sing, and so my chances at applying to Juilliard were going to be postponed. At which point, my mom said, I don't want a starving young artist. I think that you should find some other career path. Um, so I said, I'll become a doctor instead. It's easier. <laughs> From singer to doctor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sight reading was very frightening to me. Um, <laughs> so that's what I decided to do. And then my mom said, or anything other than medicine. So um, I didn't listen clearly, and here I am today. So you've kind of answered my second question, but but I'll ask it anyhow. <laughs> Getting interested in medicine as a young girl, you did not have an interest in pursuing medicine? So I was the person who always brought home the baby bird or the injured animal um, and try to rehab it. Um, I grew up on MASH. Um, once again, I'm dating myself, but Hawkeye Pierce was this brilliant surgeon who had a moral um, and ethical compass that I really liked at the same time as being a bit of a prankster. So keeping the levity of what he did and the seriousness of how he worked um, at the same time, making light of what he was doing. So I just thought that that was the most incredible thing on the planet. Like he was this guy, super smart, saving lives, funny, prankster, and humble. And that was my role model. So I have to say that actually that was like a big turning point for me. I wanted to be Hawkeye Pierce. It seems a huge step moving from professional singer to physician. How do you, how do you make that connection in that transition? So it actually isn't that much of a jump. Um, if you look at medicine, um, it's very scientific and numeric. Um, when you look at music, it actually is a lot of numbers and theory. When I studied music theory, there was a lot of things that I did just by the science of it and understanding how chords should resolve and the math behind writing music. So to me, um, I also incorporated the concept of the arts. I do a lot of cancer surgery and the fusion of oncoplastic reconstruction, taking the cancer out with the mind's eye to making the woman look the same or in some cases actually better, doing it through a lift or a reduction. So I got to have this kind of plastic surgery creative venue in addition to saving lives. To me, it was a perfect fit. I will circle back to that because that's all interesting stuff that I want to talk about too. But when you're not a surgeon, and I realize you're always a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Tell my fiance that. (laughs) When I'm not working, uh, when is that? When is that? Right. (laughs) So when you're not in the office seeing patients or or when you're not in in the OR, what keeps you busy? What do you like to do? Um, My dogs uh, are very needy. Um, But I do a lot of public speaking and I do a lot of lectures. I'm also on the teaching faculty at the national level. So I actually just got back from Dallas teaching a course on reconstruction. Um, There is a big push at the national level. So I do a lot of that on my free time. 
so that when I'm really free free, I try to do nothing. So I like to be out in nature. Tony knows that I like to go out and put, pick up my camera and chase the eagles that mock me because when I'm out there, they're there and I run and get my camera and then they're gone. <laughs> and then I put back my camera and they're back out there. So I think that they actually know what a camera is and they are playing with me. Do you like that um, national speaking role that you have and the responsibilities that come with that? You know, um, it's funny, as I got up this morning to do a TV stint for just five minutes, I said every little bit of education to the community is so powerful. You never know who's going to be listening and what it's going to resonate out into the community. So I try to really do a, a full court press, especially in October, as you can you know imagine. But I think the thing for me is I've always been in the arts and talking and getting people engaged and captivated is part of the arts. So for me, it's actually a pleasure. And I feel like on a lot of levels, it checks the box for me as paying the community forward, right? People can't change. They can't help build something new if they don't know what should be done. Yeah, this obviously comes very easy for you, and you're very comfortable <laughs> in front of cameras and behind a microphone. Um, I also know, and, and I've seen it, so I know this firsthand, you have a ridiculously impressive CV and resume, and I know that you have trained at some very prestigious schools and organizations. Tell us about that training and what was involved in you becoming the, the elite breast surgeon that you are today. So I have to start off with the fact that when I was rotating through Sloan Kettering, which is one of the top cancer hospitals in the world, people fly in from all over to get treated there, that it was the, you know, the changing point in my life. Uh, Pat Borgen was the chief of breast surgery, and he said, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I looked at him and I said, hot pool boy, fast car. <laughs> fast forward to today, I'm still single and I drive a Mazda. Um, but it's really a true story. And he looked at me and said, it would be a waste for you to become a plastic surgeon when you have such a gift. I've seen you talk to patients. You really have a way of making them understand what their diagnosis is and getting them through the hard times. And that was a really critical moment in my life where I realized I could fuse the plastics reconstructive side of my passion with helping women with cancer. And it was a win-win. So now I see Pat Borgen at the national conferences. I give him a big bear hug and I say, I'm still single, Pat. <laughs> Curses. <laughs> Let's talk about how that benefits women. All this training that you've had, and you mentioned it earlier, you, you not only in some cases making them or bringing them back to what where they were but you're making them actually better than than they were so i mean that that must be just an amazing feeling as a physician to oh, be yeah. able to do that for women under your care so my favorite story is when I started doing um, oncoplastic reconstruction, which is the fusion of cancer surgery with a mind's eye to the cosmetic outcome and making women look better. There were a lot of women who were afraid of even getting treated because they were worried about being deformed. I don't want to look like a shark bite or that my breast is pointing to the floor or to the ceiling or concaved. Um, and women were getting this image of being mutilated in association with being treated for cancer. So I wanted to scrub that. Um, and I wanted to learn. So I literally traveled all over for it. I, I spent weeks in Brazil training and reconstruction there. I stalked a plastic surgeon in Chicago. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> um, and my buddy uh, that I worked with in New York, Tom Davenport, was the director of a very large plastic surgery group. And he empowered me. We worked together in the OR. And he said, I can show you and we can do this. So 
I was very committed at a very early age in my career when I left the fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, we weren't really doing it. It really came over to the U.S. probably in around the 2008 timeframe. And every year it's gotten more and more traction. And now the ASBS, our national society, is making courses so that people can take the time to learn these techniques. And some of them are very simple and some of them are more advanced. But that whole evolution of going from just taking out the cancer, which is how I was trained, to taking out the cancer and making a woman feel better. Um, my favorite has to be the story when my patient said to me, you know, I've got cancer. And I said, well, look, we're going to take lemons. We're going to make lemonade. And after her treatment, she came back and she said, Dr. Barbosa, these are lemon drops. <laughs> <laughs> yes, is, please. That's awesome. And that must pretty much be the reaction you get, I would think, from from your patients who are who, 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 yeah. look, who, who take a look after surgery and go, oh my goodness, this is better than what I expected. So that is really helpful. But in addition to that, I've also been having patients who go through their surgery. They're elated that they're able to keep their breasts. Other doctors might be needing to do a mastectomy because they don't have some of the skill sets that I've trained in. Um, and when they get to keep their breast. It is a wonderful thing. They keep sensation. They avoid the problems with implants like contracture or infection. And what we just found out is there's now two types of cancers associated with implants. So it's not always the great, you know, I'm going to be younger and look like a Barbie doll. Uh, implants age and they have to be swapped out. So if we can keep a woman with her own breast tissue, with sensation, and having a more youthful appearance... It's it's a win-win-win across the board, and it really takes away some of the bitter pill of having a diagnosis of breast cancer. That is such a great point. As we tape the show on October 11, we are right in the middle of Breast Cancer Awareness Month across the <laughs> United States. So I'm guessing that there probably is no way that we can downplay ever the importance of, of one, self-breast exam, clinical breast exam, mm -hmm. and early detection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the most important thing, and everyone's asking, you know, how important is screening mammogram? It's everything. Early diagnosis and treatment is the best way for a woman to protect themselves. There are a lot of pushback. Sometimes patients are worried about the radiation exposure. And I say, well, do you fly? No, yeah, I fly. Well, if you fly, flight from New York to LA is the same radiation of a mammogram, and it has the potential to save your life. So people don't realize that the technologies have gotten better, the doses of radiation with imaging have gotten lower over time, and it really helps us find things before you can feel it. If you can feel it, it's already more advanced usually, and so it's a less uh, easy to treat in a lot of cases. So early diagnosis and treatment is the if you had to say only one thing, is the most important thing. I'm a woman. I don't quite know how to do self-breast exam. <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned. I don't know what I'm looking for. I've never maybe done this before. Where can they turn for help? So you can always show up to a provider and your provider will help you. But what I always tell patients when they come in to see me is I'm going to not only talk to you about what your concern is. They might have been sent for breast pain. They might have been sent for abnormal imaging. They might have been sent for family history. But I always say part of your visit is a complete education of how to check yourself. So this is not a great analogy. A lot of women will kind of like laugh and chuckle a little bit when I say think of your breast as a bag of oatmeal. 
It's lumpy and bumpy. But if you put your hand in a bag of oatmeal and felt lumps and bumps, you wouldn't be concerned because that's what it's supposed to be, lumpy, bumpy. Now, if I had you close your eyes and your hand was in that oatmeal and I threw in a rock or a pebble or an almond, you might not know which is which, but you would know it's definitely not oatmeal. So any difference in the breast tissue, that it's a change from what you've normally felt, whether you know what it is or isn't, you know it's different, that's a reason to get it looked at. Go to your provider. That is a remarkable way to describe that. <laughs> I've, I've never heard it I'm, I'm a very way. big analogy person because yeah. I work in the world of breast cancer and at the national level, there's a lot of medical terminology and I always chuckle with my patients. We like to talk in medical ease so you think we're really smart, so you feel more comfortable. But when you're talking to a patient, you don't want to talk above them. You want them to really understand so they can be part of the decision making. And that's really critical in my practice that I educate you to the point where you feel comfortable making a decision decision for you. Uh, We no longer say, if this, then this. There's a lot of, these are your options. Pick what's right for you. I have sat twice in a doctor's office and been told, you have cancer. I have sat twice in doctor's offices with my wife and heard them tell her, you have cancer. We were both treated. We're here. We're still here. We're doing relatively well. I mean, healthy people. Um, I would think the same applies to to breast cancer. Getting a breast cancer diagnosis is not what it was 50 years ago, even 25 years ago, Mm -hmm. compared to what it means today. And and I'm hoping that you can maybe help to alleviate some of the fear that women may have when they hear that word. Well, and that's exactly why we do these things, right? We go out, we do speaking events, because there are a lot of people who are still hanging on to what was going on even 10 years ago is outdated. The treatment options have gotten better. The technologies have gotten better. The detection has gotten earlier and earlier. If you don't show up, we can't find it. But when you do show up, we're finding it at an earlier stage for the most part. Survivals are in upwards of the 90 percentile, depending on your diagnosis. Survival is wonderful. There's a lot of people who think eventually we're going to get to the point where a breast cancer is kind of like diabetes. It's kind of an annoyance, medically speaking, but you treat it and you move on with your life. Um, And I always tell patients to stay ahead of the curve, just keep moving forward. The other thing you mentioned is that you and your wife have both had breast cancer, Uh, not breast cancer, sorry, but you had cancer. Um, There is a big push now for anyone who's been treated with breast cancer to get genetic testing. How do I know? Because I'm a co-author on the study published in JAMA. That's awesome. This little medical journal that that you might have heard of. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So let's talk genetics. How important is that in designing treatment plans for breast cancer? So it's critical. Um, What I always say is you can't treat someone without knowing where all the traps lay. And so by doing an extensive workup before going to surgery and knowing what someone's genetic makeup is, if someone does not have a BRCA1 or 2 genetic mutation, they might be better served with a lumpectomy and radiation, which is equal to a mastectomy. So We don't know which way to go. If a patient does have a mutation in BRCA1 or 2, and by the way, those are normal genes. You have them, I have them. When the gene is broken or mutated, that's when it causes a problem because it's a a suppressor gene, meaning that if it's not suppressing, it's allowing cancer to happen. It's a repair gene. So if the repair gene is not working right, women are put at higher risk. But that's just scratching the surface of genetics. And we could talk another couple hours on that. But suffice it to say that there's a bunch of other cancers, I call them the evil stepsisters, that women aren't even hearing about. They don't know about check two, pal, you know, 
uh, Lee Fraumani, all of the other cancer mutations that put them at risk. It's not as high as the one and two, but it does mean that you might need other guidance and there can be risk for colon cancer in conjunction with that or pancreas or thyroid. And so if you don't know, you don't know. And if you don't know, you can't screen and you can't be treated. So I always tell patients, a lot of times I'm inheriting patients who've been treated elsewhere as they come down to the shore to retire. And I say, if you've never had genetic testing or if your genetic testing was a long time ago, you probably should get your genetic testing repeated as part of an extended panel, meaning looking at not only breast cancer, but colon cancer and all of the evil stepsisters. So not just one and two. This is exactly why we brought you to Title <laughs> Health. Um, and, and thank goodness we did. Let me ask you this. What do you see in the future for Title Health and breast care? Wow. Um, well, I'm a New Yorker, so I move pretty quick. And what I love about Tidal Health is they're just as nimble as I am. So when I was, you know, talking to them about coming here, uh, Steve Leonard said to me, well, we're big enough to evoke change in the community, but we're small enough to turn on a dime. And that resonated with me. And I fell in love. I have done more with Tidal Health in less than a year than I've done in my career, period, dot. And I've done a lot. Yes, you <laughs> so, have. So um, we have just brought intraoperative imaging that is state-of-the-art. I can literally scroll through the cancer specimen while the patient's on the table, rotate it 360 degrees, true uh, 3D imaging, um, and find out if anything's close on the imaging, that I can go back and take an additional margin. This helps reduce the re-excision rate and number of re-excisions or surgeries back to the OR after final um, you know, surgery. It's been wonderful. I mean, to have that, we're implementing the MedNeon platform, which is a risk calculation. So there are a lot of patients who think they're high risk, but they're not. And then, of course, we have the converse, which is they have no family history. They don't think they have risk. It can't be me. And then you calculate them based on when they started having their menses, when they stopped having their menses, you know, number of births. There are a lot of things that go into it. And then family history. And now they are high risk. And they didn't think they had any reason to be concerned. So education and using these tools in our EMR is going to be critical. There is the kind of intro gale model, which a lot of people were using. It's fast, it's easy, and a lot of places do use that. But I'm trying to implement it on every woman that walks in the door. And I have men, so they get risk stratified mm -hmm. as well. Um, men do have breast cancer, and that's something that's also important to get out there. But doing a risk stratification and calculating the numbers specific to that person's personal history, yes, please. Yeah. I mean, we're not guesstimating. We're not using generalizations. We're saying this is where the statistics lie, and this is what we're going to do. If you're high risk, greater than 20% risk in your lifetime, then we are going to recommend additional imaging so it's not just mammograms. Let me get you out of here on this question. And I don't even know that this is possible, but given the technology, uh -huh. given the research over time, would you be really upset if it put you out of business? No. There's, there's never going to be no business because there's a lot to be said about education and the world of genetics is taking off. And that's just genetics looking at your DNA. Is there something putting you at risk for breast cancer or colon cancer or brain or thyroid or whatever? But there's also genomics, which is DNA of the tumor identifying what we're going to do to optimize targeted treatments for that tumor type. Back when I first started, if you had an invasive cancer that could travel throughout the body, you went to chemotherapy. No ifs, no ands, no buts. And then we had genomic profiling where we could look at the DNA of your tumor and 
subjected to testing, and it would spit out a result saying, there's a benefit. Actually, there is no benefit. And that the detriment or the side effects of the chemotherapy outweigh the benefits you would have gotten. So don't do chemo. We are learning more and more every day, and I always am impressed. So guess what? There will never be no work. I might not be in the OR as much, or maybe I'll be focusing on breast augmentations and lifts, but um, in terms of cancer, I would be more than happy to not have to cut someone open. So good to hear that. Dr. Barbosa, thank you. (laughs) You're a great guest. I've <laughs> loved having you on the show. Uh, and I hope you'll come back because I know we've only scratched the surface. Yeah. And as we said <laughs> when we were talking off camera before this, we could go for two or three hours talking about yeah. everything that's going on. So I would love to have you back. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking care of the women in our community. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for spreading the word. It's really, in my opinion, a community. We work better together. We oh do. my gosh, isn't that a tag phrase? It's perfect, right? <laughs> Thank you again so much. And that'll do it for this edition of Tidal Health on Point. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Karen Barbosa or the breast surgery program at Tidal Health, please visit our website, tidalhealth.org. If you have ideas for this program, Tidal Health on Point, you can always send those to me at roger.fallabout at tidalhealth.org, or you can pick the phone up and call me at 410-543-7142. For Dr. Karen Barbosa, I am Roger. Thanks for being a part of the program today, and we'll catch you on the next edition of Tidal Health on Points. Thank you.